You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. and welcome back to the show. This is the Comedian's Comedian podcast and today I am very excited to be speaking to Jordan Gray, who I've described in the show notes to this. Uh, Side note, I found out in the ComCom Facebook group, no one reads the show notes, more on those later. Um, But uh, to save you the trouble of having to read the show notes, I describe Jordan Gray as an exploding supernova uh, who has just had the Edinburgh Festival that every new act dreams of. Five-star reviews across the board, sell-out shows, a transfer to the Palladium, being made an official superhero. Um, She is just absolutely brilliant. And as I put it to her in the early part of this episode, she has pulled a complete mention, by which I mean turning up at Edinburgh. I mean, it wasn't her first ever show, but turning up at Edinburgh and to kind of arrive with just an absolute wealth of kind of quintuple threat gear and an angle, an incredibly rich and, and brilliant angle and a persona and songs and gags and a cut overarching concept and everything and it's just exploded so we are going to get right into how it feels to be in that moment right now we're going to get a snapshot of the things that change them the things that shift the challenges that crop up when you are uh, when your star is in the ascendance also and this was an exclusive announcement on the show but by the time you hear it you'll probably already know uh, jordan is bringing her show is it a bird to the london palladium on the 28th of october so go to jordangraylive.co.uk and uh, get your tickets for that if you haven't seen her already it's just gonna blow your mind it's one of those ones you see everyone on social media um uh kind of going uh, i've just seen the thing oh my god my life has changed she's pulled an absolute mention we will talk about the danger of believing your own hype, why she has to be an example and not just a comedian, and we also learn about some of the hard choices that await someone experiencing this moment of pure success. If you're in the Insiders Club or fancy joining up for a minimum £2 a month donation, uh, then you can get access to 25 minutes of extras, uh, including Jordan on her previous music career as Tall Dark Friend, uh, what is the most heartbreaking thing to hear after a gig, a really useful breakdown of the transferable skills that a comic can bring to script writing, and we find out why she wears a jumpsuit and very deliberately isn't fabulous. She also takes me to task on my, let's be kind and say uh, say skittishness. <laughs> so we'll find out about that um, if you're in the Insiders Club, uh, you can get hold of those on your podcast feed. If you are not, go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Here's Jordan Gray. Jordan Gray, welcome to the Comedians Comedian podcast oh at long God. last. This is so cool. <laughs> this really is a little dream come true. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. We we only met in person very briefly because we've I think I met, did I meet you online? Did you come and do an infinite sofa for us a I did, couple of I did an years infinite ago, like, sofa, uh, maybe twice, uh, I yes. think, at most. And then we we did a couple of lockdown Zooms together as well. Yes, marvellous. Yeah. And you've just had the dream Edinburgh that everyone wants. The right? lightning rods thing, yeah. Like, 
I don't know how to qualify it because I'm not supposed to jump in on that conversation, am I? I'm not supposed to say, yeah, it was great. I'm so- <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. yeah. I was along you, for the you may, ride. You may, never, you may never get the chance again to go, yes, everything's going fantastically. So <laughs> yes, enjoy so it, true. I think, at the time. <laughs> we are designed to have things to complain about as humans, aren't we? We are. It's part of our evolutionary imperative. We need to have stuff to complain about. And I've got nothing to complain about. It's a really weird. My brain doesn't know what to do with itself. Every day I get a new piece of information that a year ago would have been life-changing and I would have spoken about for months and now it's every single day and the priority list is just shuffling around. It's so, so strange. It's lovely to see as a comic and a fan of comedy when someone who deserves massive success achieves massive success. I hadn't seen you live before, before I came in to see Is It A Bird and I came on the second or third night, I think. Um, Yeah. And... uh, I knew it would be great because I know you're great, but I hadn't seen you live. And within, it was one of those shows where within 30 seconds you go, oh, bloody hell, this is going to be amazing. And uh, well, it really was because part of me thought, oh, you're a ringer. You're a Tim Minchin, aren't you? You're turning up here (laughs) pretending, oh, here's me doing my little comedy show. Whereas actually you've got years and years of professional like writing i looked on i mentioned in a review someone said oh um, she writes and script consults regularly for a number of uk tv production houses i'm like oh what so you're a script consultant and a kind of musical what was <laughs> tim mitchell was a musical theater director for years and never mentioned it when he when he was a new act yeah. sort of thing so you're an absolute mention that's what i i put to you you bloody liar you're not you're not I just a comedian that. i love that expression okay i'll take that it's like a shark like a comedy shark is a mention you're like a quintuple threat do you know what I mean? <laughs> and the, well, there's something really wonderful about being along for that conversation of, uh, you, you, you know, if you're savvy enough, you know that any success you have at, at, at that um, degree, at that obtuse angle of success means you're going to be called an overnight success regardless of how long you've been working for. <laughs> Mickey Flanagan was an overnight sure. success after 50 years of work. So we, it is weird experiencing that lightning rod in real time. What's really lovely is that, so you came on the early night. It was, it was such a highlight for me. I've told you, I told you over email as well. I've not told you in person how grateful I was, but I am obviously very, very grateful. It's such a moment for me that you specifically showed up. You know, I got into comedy listening to Sarah Milligan's episode of Con Con Pod was the first thing I listened to. I was like, oh, okay, I can, there's a, there's some rules and some formulas to like getting into this. I think she said something like, the idea that you to be a comedian you need to be able to play every room is absolute bullshit of course not you don't you don't need to be able to go and entertain a bunch of kids at a kids party something like that i can't remember <laughs> that's, like, exactly that's really well put yeah great yeah um so it, it, regardless yeah so you're the first face that showed up where i was like oh this is getting some buzz there's some people that <laughs> i really like are quite interested in coming to see it then you get some good reviews and then a review will come out maybe maybe like 10 or 11 days in we've got a review that said by the way, these other reviews are real. And that's a, that changed everything. They were like, believe the hype of the other reviews. Because the other reviews could have all been flukes or bullshit. And then a review came out and said, no, that these are real. And I freaked out. I was like, oh, man, this is not just exciting. It's like, there's a, there's, it's got kudos now. People are talking about it. It's so exciting. And then old bloody McKellen showed up. Ian McKellen showed up when he was my little... <laughs> My little Magneto moment. That was very cool. Oh, yeah. Did, 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 I, talk, make, did I talk to you about did that? Did McKellen make you an honorary X-Man? Yeah. That's so, incredible. Because <laughs> he's Magneto and the show's about superheroes, re- loosely, um, I kept picking up my mic stand and moving it towards him and going, Ian, hey, mate, come on, you've, stop it now. You're fucking on the show. And he was, he was loving it. And then halfway through, I was like, Ian, um, I made the joke about how I'm technically an X-Man because I'm an X-Man. I'm a transgender woman. 
And then I was like, but you're a real X-Man. So I was like, sorry, Siri, and if this is a bit of a ball ache, but, <laughs> but do you mind knighting me as an honorary X-Man? And he looked a bit annoyed, like he's like, I'm here to see some theatre. But then I realised he was acting and he got up and he did the full Magneto at me. He stood up and he shook his arms and pointed them. And I pretended I was floating, like my, the iron in my blood and he's manipulating like in the movie. And then, uh, and now we're now we're little chums. He came backstage. He's very charming, and now he emails me to let me know how he's doing. Oh <laughs> it's really my sweet. god! Man, yeah, it's a moment. I mean, I, I was one thing I wanted to ask was like, what is it like inside the the moment of when it's going off? Like the moments when you're like, and you've already described some of those stages of like, hang on, that's a good review. That's like what is a five in the Guardian on like day two or day three? Yeah, and then day three the Guardian, and then it just like from that, that's a pretty good front runner. Like a lot of other, a lot of much smaller comedy reviewers are going to feel like chumps if they go any any lower than that, you know. So so to be in that <laughs> to be in that kind of bubble, going, hang on a minute, this is happening. Did you? I mean, maybe it's a stupid question. Did you have that level of confidence in the show before you went up? Were you thinking, I'm planning for my breakthrough year? Oh, I guess n- no. There's no there's no sense that I'm going to be nominated for anything or reach any of those peaks i did think i'll end this the month with a diamond of a show i was treating it like a boot camp i was going to take what i think is a good show and turn it into a a really tight well-oiled machine and take that on tour but we jumped a million steps (laughs) when we were there it's now it the tour was offered before the end of the second week like full national tour it it's mad we'll talk about all that i'm so excited to talk to you about it because i've not been allowed but like, i know that i'm i've just got clearance from next door mm. in my agent's office right now and they were like you can tell Stu goldsmith it's all right <laughs> so your um that experience were there any were there any downsides in edinburgh from the word go did you have duff nights did you have star fucker audiences who'd read a great review and were there because something had a great review or was oh, it all- that's a great question we had Telegraph audiences. Love me some Telegraph. Nothing wrong with the Telegraph. It's just that they're not my natural audience. So you had a load of people showing up. I guess with almost, if not physically, then metaphorically, arms folded, like, entertain us now. We've read that the Telegraph told us this is what we should do with our evening and spend £20 on or whatever the ticket was. can't remember. Um, so have it, earning the respect of those audiences is a completely different skill than walking into rooms full of people who know who I am. So, suddenly realizing that my career is about entertaining strangers, which should have been obvious from the beginning, <laughs> but that changes everything. You're like, oh, it's not my fans showing up. I don't have enough fans to fill this room. This is, it's going to be 95% strangers of all different ilks and walks of life. And it was no, it was just a hundred percent success. <laughs> it's so stupidly good. Like, Everything worked out. <clears throat> I had a night when the ceiling leaked um, and we nearly had to cancel and it was the best night of the run because suddenly I'm so fired up that this is, oh God, this is the night when it all going to fall apart. It, we, we went up 20 minutes late. Everybody um, had to wait outside in the rain. We thought, oh, they're going to leave and as well they should. And then they all showed up one by one and funneled in like animals <laughs> into an ark. And it was like, it was the best night ever. My granddad showed up one night um, having read a review, he didn't ask about it. He saw a review. It was like, oh, that's my... He, he doesn't understand what transgenderism is. So he's like, that's my grandson is doing very well up in Edinburgh. I shall go and support. He didn't understand the show really, bless him. But then at the end, I, I don't okay, mind spoiling it. You've seen the show. So I'm standing there nude at the end of the show. And he got up at the end and I was like, oh, by the way, um, ladies and gentlemen, keep that standing ovation going for the most important man in the room is my granddad. He got up and he came and gave me a hug like in front of everyone. And then he was like, she's amazing oh. i was like over the course of the run he's like 
over the show, the hour, he sort of understood what's going on. He held his walking stick up in the air and he was like, it was, it was the most incredible moment. And in real time, I was like, this is lovely. But it was only like walking home. I got really teary. And then I put a little post up about it. And now he's more positive <laughs> than I am. <laughs> it's like the little story of the run. I heard someone said, I said, I was introducing myself to somebody the other day and they were like, are you that comedian whose granddad showed up last night and gave her a hug oh on stage? God. It's like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Um, it was full of moments like that. It was a month of joy. The only downside is that there's a lot of, with, with not to be tacky, there's now a lot of money flying around and there was early on. And that suddenly changes the conversation for a lot of people and things start to get, not ugly, but certainly tense. <laughs> things get very tense. Whereas I'm, I'm fine. I'm a working class comedian and I will be forever. Like, so I just want to make a massive splash. It's almost like a, it's like a story of redemption rather than a story of like success and fortune. And it's definitely fame, but I like the fame bit. Don't care about the fortune bit. I like the fame bit. When you say things are getting ugly, I'm not asking you to betray any confidences, but what, what, what I assume <laughs> you're alluding to is that, um, well, my first thought is like, if someone did you a favour and lent you a phone box, now they're going, oh, that phone box was a grand. <laughs> That's a really good, uh, would be a good guess. I, I bought that phone box myself and I had so much fun ripping it apart. It's made of cardboard, as you saw. On the last day, I just hulked out of it, like from the inside, rather than leave it elegantly like I'm supposed to. I just, <laughs> I just ripped it apart from the inside. It was so funny. Um, uh, stuff like that, you're right. It's things that are done in good faith and suddenly when there's money... If you'd had money at the beginning, it would have all been locked down and contracted. I'm in a good place. I'd like, I, this is not a career disrupting. It's just like awkward conversations with people that feel a certain ownership now of a product that, again, with all the love in the world, I, I wrote in its entirety 100% and went up and worked my bloody arse off. Sorry for swearing oh, no, on your prestigious free. program. Oh, bums. <laughs> Um, so there's that, but I kind of like it. It's like, it's part of the art and the part of the process, the compromise and the collaboration that extends to personal politics as well as the work. It's a weird thing to say, but I think that the, the social political ramifications of success is part of the artistic process rather than make, treating them as separate. I like to, I'm thinking about them all the time. I can't stop thinking about them when I'm on stage that I might have upset someone by not inviting them to a show. That's all part of it for me. I don't know. It's inextricable from the art. I don't have a gear that goes, now I'm going to go do some comedy. It's just, it's all the time. There's no moment of, I'm going to switch off now and have a holiday. It's all one wavy That's line. Very, I remember at, um, I did a, a, a kind of performing arts school thing in the Netherlands for three months many many years ago and they, they introduced me to the concept of the body mind which is like we're used to dealing right. with the body and the mind as if they're separate but actually it's the same thing and you know your your body affects your mind and vice versa and I feel like that's an incredible that's a really interesting observation that those two things are inextricably linked the self as the person who got you it, it reminds me of Jackie Chan sweeping the floor do you know what I mean? Jackie Chan sweeps the right, floor in his movie right. sets. Who told me this? Tommy Campbell told me this years ago. He sweeps the floor in his movie sets. And so I was like, Jackie, you're Jackie Chan. Why are you sweeping the floor? And he says, Jackie works. Everybody works. And it's like that kind of, Aww. you know, you, you kind of part of being a comedian is turning up and panicking that the mic doesn't work and trying to fix it and having sorted the poster out and all those things. That sort of holistic approach to it. Is that the sort of thing that you mean? Yeah. And if you're... If you're running a show for 25 nights in a row and, and way more shows overall during the fringe, um, 
that stuff falls by the wayside really quickly. Like I know how a mic works. <laughs> so that's one thing off the list I'll never have to worry about. Do that 25 nights in a row. All the tiny complaints that you would normally fuss your brain with. What's the word? Like d- d- you'd, you'd use that brain power to deal with tiny things. They're working like clockwork. And as we, as I said, that I have nothing to complain about now, but we're designed to have stuff to complain about. So my complaints are now overarching complaints about how does my journey as a transgender person going through fringe, fringe affect the standing of transgender people in society. I've got, I've got no small things left to worry about. So now it's the only the big ones. And I would never have thought about that before. I'm like, I'm, an, I'm a comedian. My job is to make people laugh to the best of my ability without upsetting yes. anyone. Now it's, I've got an option to steer a huge conversation at a time when the conversation is really weird and, and sort of getting a bit dangerous. I'll get to steer it back to normality. And because I, uh, I, I always say this, if I was a baker, I would, and I'm transgender and I was a baker, I'd just be a bloody good baker. I'd do my best to bake really good bread. I'm an entertainer. So my job is to be right up in people's faces, almost sh- sharing your truth, which a lot of people just take as the opinion that I, a lot of people get their news from comedians, don't they? A lot of people get their opinions from comedians. So it's sort of my job to fill that in. So it's a really weird situation where me doing that to the best of my ability effectively is changing the course of how people feel about a certain issue. Bakers and pilots and, you know, solicitors don't have to worry about that. But when you're in the arts, people are looking at us for their opinions. Um, so I, yeah, all of this is to say that I feel now, I love the responsibility that the stuff I'm saying and the image I'm giving out is affecting how people feel day to day about transgender people. That's really nice. Do you feel um, up to it? Do you feel that is a phenomenal, you could see that as a huge burden. If all you want to do is make people laugh and you're used to performing to your fans and friends and family and now suddenly you have this platform. The platform has kind of been, I'm not going to say it's entirely been thrust upon you. You were seeking it, but fucking hell it delivered. It's like a hose. Do you know what I mean? It's like, why isn't this hose working? And you look down at it and wham. It's yeah, yeah. It's always a kink in the way. That's, that's also a good metaphor. Usually the reason a person's career isn't working is because they've got a secret kink they don't want anyone to know about. <laughs> oh, that's, that's very deep. Very, very that's deep. Good. Very lovely. Um, I love the responsibility. Uh, you're right. It is like, I, I would like to have fun with my friends and my people, but nobody ever said we were actually supposed to be happy. I am, I'm happy doing that bit. All the other really hard stuff. It's like, well, it's my job. And also we're all going to die one day. So do a good job of what you do while you're here. I, I love it. It's when you actually, when you intellectually acknowledge that life is short, you, people say it, well, like, oh, life is short. Don't life is short. When you actually go, oh shit, life is short and you feel it everything becomes really easy. So I'm like, well, I'm only going to have to do this for another 60 years <laughs> and then I'll be dead. So um, I, I do. I love it. I actually, um, I perform better if there's a lot of pressure on to perform well because um, I'm working class. So our scrappiness is our superpower, isn't it? It's like, that's what we can summon that other people maybe can't because they haven't been forged in the fire of adversity. <laughs> this is all very flowery very language. Very good, very, uh, very fluent, very, uh, you know, you've articulated that in a very exciting and passionate kind of a way. I have to stop talking like that because my comparisons to Russell Brand are already numerous and ubiquitous. So if I, if I use all this superfluous rhetoric... <laughs> That's why people say it. I swear that's why people think is if, because I've got Russell's hair, you can't, obviously this is an audio medium, but we are filming as well. I usually have a back comb haircut. And if I also talk like him, it's like, I can't, it's my own fault to get those comparisons. Your personality, although as kind of outre as Russell Brand's, is sufficiently different and you're a woman 
and a trans woman to boot. Like that's enough degrees of separation. For for, for you and I, that 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 degree of separate that makes sense as a degree of separation. For a lot of people, being transgender moves it back towards <laughs> the, the original thing. That's the world that we live in. So I have a deep voice, and we are about the same height. Me and old Russ. Actually, Russ is like notoriously tall. I reckon he's probably got a few inches on me. In all respects, but yeah, you're right. Uh, you're right. Being a woman is at least one di- degree of divergence away, um, and we have different. I suppose we have different values. I do literally talk about being Jesus. <laughs> you do well. share a kind Not of messianic quality. I mean, you're that's, and we'll talk about the show a little bit because the one of the things that's so infectious about it, and it's, all of the reviews have said this as well, uh, is that your your angle of I'm amazing is incredibly infectious. That joke about the playing the piano where you go, I don't remember the line, but it's like, I've never done this before. And then you just kind of smash out. I don't have the vocabulary, yeah. but you are clearly incredible at it. And you go, wow, this is a piece of piss. Do you know what I mean? That, that kind of I'm amazing angle. It's, ah, oh, thank you so much for saying that. But you, you're right. It's like, if, if the, the day that people believe me or believe that I believe it, then it's over. The magic is gone. If people think that I think I'm amazing, to the degree that I say that sure. I am, the fun is gone. It's obviously betrayed an underlying sense of insecurity in other areas. I'm I'm an artist because I'm a child of divorce, and I suspect that's true for most people in some way. Like, um, what, there's a million types of artists, so let's not generalise. But like, when you've got a, a, a what's that called? A feedback loop of praise coming from two different parents that are that aren't friends themselves you learn to like you learn what the specific nuance of what attention you want from people i suppose i don't know like it is this is all me figuring out in retrospect but the point is i have a debt a, de- uh, a detriment i have a I, i'm a, on a negative of praise from my childhood and i'm seeking it now that's why i'm an artist <laughs> there has to be a reason why I brought this up. <laughs> no, I was talking about yeah. someone who hasn't seen you might sound now like if they listen to this, they're going, well, that doesn't seem like a very attractive angle. It's an incredibly attractive angle. Right, right, right. Because it's coming from, I think this is the point you're making. It's coming, like, we know that you're not, it's not just a person standing there saying, I'm amazing. We know that it's forged in something. You're, that's exactly it. Yeah. And it, we live vicariously through that person. I am that person in that instance. So it's weird to talk about it in objectively but i always like to i use the royal we when i'm saying like um you're watching me i.e we're watching me and you were living vicariously through how much fun i'm having that's how i like to talk about it um but to speak to something you said earlier that is relevant uh the i did have a couple of days when it was it did feel like i was maybe giving a seven out of ten performance which i'll take on most days that's fine i gave a seven out of ten to the times and they gave me a four star and i have been kicking myself all for months and then my friend was like it's a four star in the times you bell and just calm down um the reason um i had given a couple of seven out of ten performances is because i suddenly started to believe the hype of the character of being amazing and everything was going so amazing that i came on and it wasn't coming from a place of gratitude anymore it was a slam dunk hey guys you're welcome i'm here that could still be funny if the attitude was right but my attitude for two days was was oh people are really enjoying this hype i should lean into the hype completely changes the magic so a clown told me a goulier trained clown told me that the reason why you're feeling that way is because clowns come at things from underneath everything is on the clown and they are the fool and then they receive and they're very grateful for every moment um and you never come at anything from above never walk into a room ready to slam dunk the audience um like you still got to be receiving their their gratitude and make it for them 
and it changed everything. It's, it's, it, the lessons you learn at Fringe as a comedian is such a pressure cooker. If you're open and receptive to receiving and changing, you come out of it 10 years improved like by any other respects it's so amazing so that stays with me forever i'm about to do some the biggest shows of my career and the moment before i go on i'm just i'm, I'm an atheist but i have to thank something <laughs> so um just thanking the audience uh maybe literally i don't know you know like in, in comedians we introduce ourselves a lot um some people choose not to do that but maybe yeah thanking them in in my own little special way before i go on reminds me that it's for for them and i am uh, I am a vicarious object for them to live through and we like to feel good about ourselves but we also like to feel like we're good people I guess and, and grateful and I've got to show that also I've got to be a bloody uh, uh, what's the word example don't I I've got to be a really good example of a transgender person I don't just get to be a comedian I have to be really gracious and virtuous and nice which is not funny at all <laughs> but i think those those things dovetail the idea of like humility as a clown and graciousness as a representative presumably yeah. they there's a relationship between those yeah the the character of i don't know there's a there's a worthiness that people are so savvy to now that feels forced and i never want to i don't want to incorporate wor- um gratitude into my set to the point where if i'm not feeling it that night i have to fake it because that would be even worse luckily i'm very very grateful for everything that's going on but you do get days where just like i've been talking about, if people are arguing over money and money was never a big part of the problem some there's a couple of hours a day i'm like well this isn't fun anymore <laughs> the hell yeah like the money is you need not having money is awful and having loads of money is awful it's really really bad i haven't even got it yet <laughs> even by the time this goes out those settlements probably won't be in from fringe and beyond but people are already spending it for me or deciding that it's theirs it's really horrible like but i'm overselling it i'm having a really nice time and i also don't care about it so this is jordan a delight. I'm so excited. I'm so pleased to be back. I really needed the break. And uh, we've got episodes in the can now with Jordan Gray, Lauren Patterson, uh, Glenn Moore, Grace Petrie and Esther Manito. Everyone a fantastic act. Every episode a banger. So I am full of the joys, as you can no doubt here, and very, very excited to be speaking to Jordan and um also because Jordan is another person who uh, whose career is going off, who has some relationship to this podcast. And um I try, I used to, out of, I don't know what sort of Britishness, delete the bits where people on the episodes would go, hey, you know, this podcast is really important to me. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, and I'd go, oh, you, and then delete that bit because I didn't want it to be like I'm broadcasting and showing off. But uh, that's what media is, isn't it? So um, I think if we accept that all of us have the hubris to be stand-up comedians in the first place, maybe I'll start leaving that stuff in a little more. Because perhaps one of the missteps I've made along the way, for which I very warmly and kindly forgive my previous self, um, is hiding my light under a bushel. Well, no more. Yeah, OK, probably a bit more. So uh, more from Jordan soon. We are going to find out more in the in the second section of this episode. Well, let me look at the notes. Do you listen? Do you even listen to this bit? Uh, we're going to find out um, about... Oh, OK, so there's some great chat about stand-up coming up. And one of the things, as you will hear, that I said to people to recommend the show when I saw it very early on at the Fringe, oh, I was there first, um, is uh, among the first-ish, several years in, um, was uh, the, the example I would give is 
she's got original angles on Batman. And that is, as a stand-up comic, if you can have an original angle on something as careworn as the concept of Batman, then my hat is off to you. So we're going to find out all about that. And remember, go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for ad-free episodes, uh, for all the extra content, including 25 minutes of extras from this one, um, in which we find out about the transferable skills a comic can bring to script writing. Highly recommend that. Really, really good. She is a very smart cookie indeed. Can a cookie be smart? Every time I say smart cookie, I find myself going, that's not the thing, but you can't be a sharp cookie, can you? Who knows? Um, Remember, go to jordangraylive.co.uk to get tickets for Jordan live at the London Palladium on the 28th of October. And that is going to be a gig to remind people that you... To, to reminisce about and to say, I went to that one. Um, incidentally, before we go back in, last thing, this is a uh, non-spawn con. This is an unpaid ad for the brilliant Steve Best. Very funny comedian, phenomenal photographer. If you go to stevebest.com, you can pre-order his incredible, glorious new... It's one of those, you see an image of the book, and you just go, I want to eat that book. The edible book, Comedians... Um, which is full of fabulous, fabulous photographs of comics in little kind of pre-gig and mid-gig and backstage kind of moments. And um, and it's just a glorious kind of... Is it? I, I don't mean to insult it by calling it a coffee table book. It's not going to fit on your shelf. Um, so go to stevebest.com. And if you mention ComComPod at checkout when you pre-order, then you have the chance you go in a draw to win a print, uh, which you can see at stevebest.com slash blurry hyphen bikes. And it's just a glorious uh, backstage print with a load of famos in it perfect moment and it's great and the rrp on that is 800 quid so you can win that actual print and you can go to draw to win it if you mention comcom at checkout when you go to stevebest.com to pre-order the glorious photo book comedians non-spawn con ends let's get back to jordan hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a slight tangent, but I'm interested. Do do you have a um, a kind of uh, a stay sane kit? Do you have a toolkit for things like that? Where you're like, oh, if this is going off in the way that it appears to be, and if we are, you know, if if this could be the real start of something that is absolutely massive, in the, like to use the example of Tim Minchin, you know, yeah. just you could be colossal. Do you have a, are you kind of starting to build or do you already have a toolkit of ways of looking after yourself within that? That's such a lovely question. I'm about to say something very pretentious and I've only recently come to realize how true it is and it's all right to say it. And I was so ashamed of saying it for so long. The reason I'm not going to go mad 
it's because I'm fucking mad. I'm I'm just mad, and it's all right to be a bit mad. I used to, I I, had, I was ill for a really long time, very very ill for a long time. In, in that respect, my my brain wasn't working properly, um, but it gave me loads of time to put things in place and mechanisms in place to like. Um, I, I'm not. I, I don't have a high functioning, popular like sensationalized mental illness or anything like that. Those, those sound awful. And those people have my, like my heart goes out to those people, but um, my brain doesn't work normally. And I've, I'm really sick of pretending that it does. Like now I don't have to, it's like, everything's going to be so mad. There's a Russell used to say some lovely stuff, Russell Brand about if he wasn't famous, his haircut would just look like a mental illness. <laughs> and I love that line. That's so good. I, I love that. I get to, I get to be a mad slob now. I, you know, I just get to wear my, jeans and trainers around and nobody's telling me that well those aren't very feminine anymore you should maybe look into some nicer clothes and like and wear more makeup I'm like do whatever the fuck i want look everyone's loving it everyone's having a really nice time just leave me alone i don't have to uh i get to jump over a lot of i, I get to jump the queue in a lot of respects and i also don't have to hold myself to as high a standard anymore in terms of I love. I don't like making people feel uncomfortable. So I, I, I think what it is is mania. I have a little bit of mm-hmm. a manic side. Not not the depression bit. I don't get. To, I don't get sad. I just get a bit too excited about stuff and do really silly things like take my clothes off and run around. Again, if I wasn't popular, <laughs> that would be seen as <laughs> problematic. But now people seem to love it. It seems to have garnered a lot of stars in the old tabloids. Me getting new um, running around. It's interesting just on that to imagine a version of, and, and this kind of feeds into that that idea of like I don't get sad. I assume you don't mean you don't ever get sad, but what you're talking about is you don't suffer from the downside of the mania yeah. that a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. And I don't I'm just feel wondering, like, dip. Yeah. like, had you had had you taken that show to Edinburgh and just had a tough time? I mean, it was a very small shipping container type venue, mm. and had the reviewers just not come, the PR yeah. hadn't worked, and word didn't get out, and you did that show to 20 people a night, and it was a struggle. Do you imagine, like, how do you imagine you yeah. would feel in terms of your, like, the the para, that parallel universe? Like, would you be out of it thinking, crack on, next thing, how do I improve it, how do I change? Or would you be feeling like, holy shit, I put everything on, everything into that? Yeah, I would, I would feel cynical and sceptical, as we all do, and that, like why didn't it work then you get over that because the answer is the world isn't fair <laughs> that's fine this me me getting this success isn't an example of the universe being fair it's a lightning rod i won the lottery i put loads into it it's not like there's there is a million incredible comics toiling away in obscurity right now that could have could and probably should have been standing where i stood when the lightning rod hit I did put a lot of work in, and so I feel rewarded. But I don't believe in a karmic like rebalancing. I don't think I worked hard enough to get the amount of fame I got. I still won the lottery. So I would come out of it, uh, I would compartmentalize, and I would rationalize it that life's just not fair, keep going, this is what I chose to do. I now I love that I don't have to worry about that for at least a little while. <laughs> that's that's a real joy. Um, I, I, my shoulders haven't felt tight for seven weeks like it just as soon as that guardian came through on the third day i said oh right oh wow okay so now we can um i got all this energy that i've been putting into stay keeping my head above water we can use that to elevate us to a to an incredible place which the stuff we're talking about now is i'm taking it around the world is the is the thing not not that's not wishful thinking there's dates <laughs> there's money and dates have exchanged um 
yeah, with the show's is about to go around the world. My face is going to be on lots of rectangles. That's which is nice. <laughs> it's one of the best yeah. shapes. Yeah. <laughs> I love a, I tell you what I love. I love a rectangle with a beveled edge, Stu. I love those are the best kind. <laughs> um so you're so how much can you tell what's the embargo thing that we can talk about now because you've oh, checked I'm so the glad I can tell you. I'm genuinely not allowed to talk about it with anyone and now I get to talk. Um yeah, so I can tell you now, because it'll be coming out after the embargo, yeah. that Jordan Gray Is It a Bird is coming to the London Palladium on the twenty eighth of October. Um, and with a view to doing very well, they've got a feeling it's going to sell out, if not very, very fast. Um, so that's very, very cool. Soho Theatre that I'm doing for two weeks is already sold out. That's done. Um, and then we're taking it to bloody Melbourne and Montreal and like all the f- comedy festivals, you know. Um, Broadway offered five offers from Broadway to take the show to Broadway. So we just have Broadway's just in the bag. It's just where we. I don't even it. know about Broadway. What like like what? There's, there's, so there's loads know. of theatres and they what five people are offering. Broadway venues are going. You yeah, should come to us. Programmers. So my yeah. instinct as a person who's been to Edinburgh a lot of times makes me think, oh, okay. So some of them will be saying, hey, you should come to us because we're biggest and you'll make most money. And some will be saying, mm-hmm. you should come to us because we've got all the cachet. And you then have to make decisions about which one yeah. to take. Is it that kind of sphere of... That's a very. That's exactly it. That's very astute. And also there's a conversation about, well, what if we stop what if we start at um, off-Broadway, even though we've had Broadway offered, and then we re- retro-engineer the story of what it started off-Broadway, look how popular it's become, and it's got itself a Broadway venue. I'm giving you all the Hollywood secrets here. Check all of this yeah. with your agent, please, because I don't, like, don't want to <laughs> screw it up for you because you've been so no, uh, candid about it. But, um, I like this, the story is important, and I, but being self-aware of that story, the story behind the story, and people's savviness is so high nowadays. I think people kind of appreciate yeah. that like my I, I did the voice and i was the first trans person on it it's the first person that didn't get a turn and they got brought back and in real time it's just all very exciting but in retrospect it's a cinderella story it's a classic story that's engineered i'll go on record as saying it's engineered i don't know that for sure just I'm engineered by, by them you mean yeah okay yeah, yeah, so yeah, i don't just, really know about the voice i've seen some clips and it, i mean obviously yeah. you've got a breathtaking voice it's really funny seeing having seen you use your incredible voice and piano skills to comic effect it's very weird seeing you then play it straight because i'm like oh, kind of it, yeah. why are you doing this jordan <laughs> as, as a person i'm not like a pop music fan that's not my genre i never watched the voice i don't kind of get it but yeah. it is really interesting to go oh it's like you've got all those skills but you're not doing the thing with them that you do the the uh, i did music for 10 years and i get on a daily basis now it dipped off for a bit and then when edinburgh started again people say i love your comedy but i, oh, I wish you'd do the music and they that for them that is a beautiful compliment and for me that's just a twist in the of the knife in my heart it's like the thing that you've chosen it's like someone saying to michael jordan you know you're shit at baseball (laughs) you're so shit like this what he wanted to do like leave him alone um i'm gonna bring out some more music but once you've done comedy everything becomes ironic and everything's layered in seven layers of irony i can't now sit down and sing a love song earnestly that doesn't have some clever semantic field or some funny story like I can listen now to like Call Me Out by Paul Simon. And I'm like, oh, okay. That that for me is, that's right on the money of, that's a serious piece of music. But there's so many little 
witty sisms and whimsy in there that it's like okay it's it's kind it's not jokes that like, i can listen to now to like eminem or rap because there's it's just it's jokes for, it's a million jokes very cleverly layered jokes goes to some dark places but it's a lot of wittiness i can enjoy that music now i can't just listen to pure love songs and that's a real shame the muse whatever it is the the muse that sits on your shoulder as i brought out a single after the voice and it was so shit. And I'm on record as saying that. So I'm sorry to anyone that was involved because like you all did a good job. But what we made was so homogenous and bland that that muse just flew away. That little muse that's on my shoulder. And I looked, I was like, oh shit, I've sold out. I've completely sold out. You, and, it, and it broke my heart. You, I, don't, I don't know when it's going to come back. You saw, you saw pop music from the inside. You mean the blandness, the, like, the team of people making that yeah. bland little kind of bubble. Yeah. But that that's what caused that's what chased the muse away or that's what chased your love for pop music away for, yeah for for the it was very expensive and you my little working class brain was like oh you spend money because that the quality will improve and yeah the, the sound gets better but the quality of the music becomes paint by numbers and it was something i've never listened to in a million years i wouldn't listen to it that's got to tell you something yeah. it's like don't i can't do that for the rest of my life whereas i i can listen to uh, my own jokes still make me laugh, which is a great sign because I can't remember who said it. I think it was like Chris Rock um, on on a podcast was like, you should not have a single joke in your set that didn't make you laugh when you first thought of it, yeah. at least for a bit. Yeah. I mean, you could, you lose that magic. You can't expect to be tickled by it every time. You're not going to be surprised by it. But yeah, I can still enjoy my own music. I still enjoy my own um, comedy and that means, yeah, that, that means it's probably got a good shelf life for me to keep, stay excited about. It's it. arguably the only criterion, isn't it? It's like, if it makes you laugh, it's so easy to forget that because we, I think as comics, you're, you're kind of, when you're, when you're writing, there are phases of writing where you're like, Christ, I need something or I, I passionately want to say a thing, but I don't know how to say it in a funny way. And when yeah. you work it out and you go, Oh, it's that, it's that joke, it, you know. Um, that moment is such a relief and then you forget it. I mean, I've mentioned on the, on the podcast before that I um, had a lovely experience, I don't know how long ago it was, in the last year or so, where Spotify Shuffle played me an old bit of mine from an album that's on Spotify oh, and wow. I'd forgotten the ending. So I listened to it not knowing where it was going and I laughed out loud. I'm like, well, there we that's go. I mean, the, the thing is, like, that is, it's like a five-star review from yourself in a in a way yeah. that is, I mean, incredibly mawkish and pretentious and sort of self self satisfied. I suppose it can't not be. But at the same time, what are you doing it for if not to kind of satisfy your own sense of humour? If you are to, to be reminded that you are your own demographic, it must be a joyful experience. I had that's it, that's what I had in music was the the polar opposite. I found out I wasn't my own target demographic, which is very sad. So comedy allows us to reconnect with yeah ourselves. You. That that lovely thing of learning that casting a broad net is is fine if that's what you're going for. But also, if you're passionate, dedicated enough, and you're and you're happy with the niche that you filled, you'll find your audience and you'll build it. And those people will be more dedicated than ever. The people that love Jeff Buckley love Jeff Buckley more than anything else in the world, and the rest of the world has never heard of him. But they, but his fans, he's very well, he's well known, but he's not he's not held up as the superstar he should be. I think he's an, a living angel. I'm, I'm not immune to this hero <laughs> worship of Jeff Buckley because it's so him and so uniquely him that if you hit it and you, and you land and it hits you, you're, it's, it's like seeing a mirror image of your soul rather than, um, a retro engineered 
sort of wide net that's being cast at you to try to try and get you to come and listen. You felt you feel like you discover Jeff Buckley, and I feel that way about a lot of comedians. Maria Bamford is maybe my favourite comedian of all time, and she's an incredibly singular comedian. Um, she's been through a lot of trouble in her life, and that's forged probably her opinions of staying true to the course and being who she is, rather than trying to lose your identity by being homogenous. Wow, that just came out of nowhere. I've never even thought about that before. <laughs> I'm so that. If you're just listening, listeners, she just gave me the little chef's kiss <laughs> finger, which I will cherish forever. Um, so yeah, Maria Bamford and Jeff Buckley, they're my, that's my team. We have chatted about how I can walk out and say I'm amazing and nobody actually believes me. Nobody thinks I'm arrogant. They, th- they can see straight away that that's underpinned by self-doubt, like we all are. Do you have a similar experience because you're so, you seem so put together and so slick as a comedian. Slick is a great word. It, I, I hope it's a compliment that it is. You're so slick. Do you ever feel like people mistake that for arrogance or do you think that people can see your un, your sort of the skittishness that underpins most of your behaviour? So- um, great question. Long question. <laughs> Give me a second. Yes. Interesting that you should say slick. Slick was the bane of my life for about five years. Every That's review, why I, I was conscious I know. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, every, um, every review I had would say I was slick and it was something I was fighting against for a long time. And I think I'm a lot less slick now. And what I hope I'm doing now is using the, the, if you say instead of slickness, if you say the confidence that I inspire in people, like the other nice thing that people say all the time is, as soon as this guy walks on stage, you think, oh, this is going to be fine. So if like, if that, we call it thatness, whatever it is, what I hope I'm doing now is using that to be really honest and really open and really, and try and be a bit more challenging about uh, for example, the environment and climate change and eco dread. And I've always right. tried to talk about anxiety because, but I have found it a challenge because I think I don't come across like someone who suffers from anxiety. And so it's very difficult to talk to the audience about the anxiety I feel because it breaks the contract that I have unwittingly formed with them. I walk mm. on and my presence okay. says, you're all right. I'm all right. This is going to be fine. And if I go, I find myself screaming with rage in my car. That's a hard sell. And instead of going, tell us about that broken, interesting person, they go, oh, shit, are you all right? Because they like me it's so much. It's such a burden for you to carry. <laughs> that, that, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, it really is. That's not fair. Like, I, I sort of, I, I, I never don't think I've ever had to worry about something like that. I guess if you're a degree removed from like straight white man, the otherness of that means that you've got almost got license to go into deeper places. Then this is, I, I I'm just saying all of this unironically, this isn't a bit, I'm not doing a joke. Like straight white men have to, that the taking ownership of any sort of otherness, any sort of sense of anxiety or diversion from a perfectly neurotypical brain. is like, it, it's a, it's a bigger conversation for you. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I've got license to go deeper than you would have, especially if your style and the, and the slickness that you've had attributed to you. That seems unfair to me that you would feel like you have to maintain that. It's a, it's a well-crafted facade in a good way. Cause of course we don't, we don't walk around telling jokes at that intensity and frequency so well crafted in conversation so of course it's a facade so for you to have to hold that up i'm literally sometimes when i run out and i'm like this is amazing when i say i'm amazing that's different but when i run out and go this is amazing i'm just saying it because it's real it's true i get to walk out and be so vulnerable with my feelings that it feels like you don't get to do that 
Uh, or at least I, I haven't it. cracked how to do it. There are plenty of right. uh, straight white guy comedians who have cracked course, how course. to yeah. how to do that. But I've just I've always struggled with that. So that's my answer to your question: is uh, I have always struggled with specifically that with showing vulnerability. Like I want to show vulnerability. At the same time, I'm very inhibited. Uh, in a way that you are not. I absolutely love your lack of inhibition in all respects. It's, it, that's part of the thrill ride of the show is, look at this incredibly uninhibited woman just telling us everything. Uh, I, I'm you. very inhibited because I, I like, uh, <laughs> I always say, like, there's a thing I think with someone like Fern Brady, you should have go, Fern no. will just fucking tell the truth. She'll just save the <laughs> world as she sees it. And I'm sorry, I feel like I've used her as an example of this before. So apologies, Fern, if I keep talking about it. But, um, uh, like, I think like, well, I can't tell the world how I really feel about my relationship with my mum because it'll get back to her because she's still alive and she'll be terribly upset. And I don't want yeah. to upset everybody because my, one of my defining, one of my kind of, um, foundational premises, to use the, the phrase of, uh, Ivan Aristogeta, a fabulous Venezuelan comic now in Australia who is absolutely wow. worth seeking out his episode of this podcast. It's brilliant. He talks about comics having foundational premises. And one of the foundations of my life is that I just want everything to be okay. That's why mm. I'm charming. That's why I make people feel good with my presence, because I passionately want them all to be okay. Even the dicks. Do you know what I mean? I just right. want everyone to yeah. be okay. And that will be, I'm not, I mean, I mean, I'm not a child of divorce. They divorced when I was an adult and I'd already made myself, but. I am mm. a child of, you know, this is an awkward tension and I, I think I can fix it. You know, yeah, that, okay. so that's, that's, that's one of my big kind of things. I can certainly relate to the idea of not wanting to upset anybody. That's a big part of it. I, I would never make anybody feel uncomfortable and I also never trip anybody up in the show. I'm very conscious that there's not a single bit of the show that makes you feel bad for not knowing a piece of information. You, f you might feel silly or feel, oh, I can't believe I thought that. But there's no, I don't want to ever trip anybody up or upset anybody. I think the difference is I have such a low threshold for like, <laughs> it's like uh, to say subhuman uh, intelligence is a far too strong of a phrase but I have a cut off point for there's a certain level of intelligence where I'm like well then we're a different <laughs> we're a different species so like, I'm just going to entertain my that threshold is, is it, it's not about book smarts it's not yeah I'm working class I grew up just like everybody else there's this, I think it's like an emotional intelligence below a certain amount if you're not willing to take ownership of your emotional intelligence as a human I'm happy to write you off as okay they are irredeemable and unsavable and i don't mind those people being upset by the show people that uh, come with an open mind of any uh, intelligence is maybe the wrong word an open-mindedness of any level i, I never want to make those people I, I want to reward those people for being open-minded um i never want to upset anybody with an open mind if your mind is fully closed then that's fine and maybe you have your brackets even wider. You don't want to upset those people either. You just don't want to upset anyone. Yes, I already, already. Before you even brought that back to me, I was like, yeah, but the people's minds are openable. And if people have closed minds, they can be saved. You, you know what I mean? You can, have, you can open their minds. Yeah, I'm an evangelical comedian. Yeah, right? I don't say saved as <laughs> yeah. a very eggy... It's, good. Yeah. it's very true. You know, but, but you... I, I don't have the skill set to open those brains. No. But the, the brains that are... I'll, I'll take anybody on the fence... I will help you get off that fence, my friend. But there's, if you've, if you're at a point where anything will entrench you in your belief, I think it's pathological. There's really a very small amount of people whose minds are truly, truly closed, truly closed. Um, and it's usually a fear-based thing that's pathological and that's fine. I've, 
I shouldn't be so harsh on those people, really. A, a lot of uh, like a criticism that is often levelled at people who have a decent understanding of social justice, and you know, or I mean, I even call it social justice is kind of perjurative, but people who are broadly speaking good people, as I would see them. Uh, yeah. Uh, a, a, a kind of criticism levelled at that is that you are you're preaching to the choir. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is Nish Kumar changing anyone's mind, or is he simply? I know that not that this is simple in itself, but it, is he rallying people who already agree with him? Having said mm. that, um, there's a this is a, someone uh, I've clipped this from a review and not even had the decency to uh, write down the name of the reviewer. I cannot attribute this, but imagine how pretentious it would be if I could tell you the name of the oh, reviewer. Oh, <laughs> you shout out the name of the reviewer or the publication when you get to yeah. it. We'll do that. Is a really fun <clears throat> format game, not for That's this podcast, game. but for something. At what point can you recognise this reviewer? And this yeah. person says, "A friend told me that her mum went into Is It a Bird with scepticism towards trans issues, but left." understanding for the first time what the community actually goes through. It would be easy to think that Gray's work is light-hearted, crass and fun, because it is, but it can and will change opinions and lives. That's so wonderful. That feels like, if I was to hazard a guess, that sounds like The Independent. I didn't write right? it down, I've got no idea. Oh, you didn't write it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. Independent went with a quote of um, how the show will change lives, which was, a, a, yeah, so that was a tearjerker of a moment for me as well. Because then it becomes more than comedy. Suddenly I'm... Um, Suddenly, I'm changing. Oh shit! You've uh, got a, you've yeah. got all these responsibilities. You've got to ch- if you can yeah. change lives. That's great power, as you know, as a superhero fan. That's a great yeah, responsibility. That semantic field of I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm walking around Edinburgh. It's such a bubble. The way I g myself up is I listen to the um, the soundtrack from Spider Man and Spider Man Two. <laughs> <laughs> Not just the orchestral scores, but the bands um, from the Tobey Maguire Spider Man films. Um, and the show, there's a through line about Batman. So every time I saw a picture of a bat or a Batman, I'm like, oh, that's for me. Yes. That's for me. And then it really doesn't help that level of psychosis. And I do call it a psychosis because it truly is a psychosis. For then someone to say, this show will change lives. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, must be, I must actually be changing into a, a, a caped crusader. Uh, there, I, I was only a few reviews like that from donning a cape and trying to save lives on the cobbled streets of Edinburgh over nighttime during August. Um, it's really hard to, because the show's all, that's the whole field of the show. The whole thing is about superheroes. I'm there on the poster with a cape and I'm flying and it's, it's a, it's the, if, if I was pulling a silly face, then the whole show is ruined in that picture because it's like the seriousness of being a superhero doesn't fight against the jokes and the humour of the show. But when people start to talk about it in such high regard, it's the, the line blurs so, so quickly of this show is, you know, this, um, yeah, like, like they say, ch- changing people's lives, saving people from, uh, from like ho- horrible opinions and stuff. It, it was a weird blur for the month for me to walk around feeling like I was, uh, yeah, I might as well be wearing a cape. This show will <laughs> save a busload of children from falling off a bridge. <laughs> This this show will cast st- tensile steel webs across buildings and save a runaway train full of people before a robot octopus man. Like, I think you've pushed the metaphor too far. Really, <laughs> um, one of the things that I was so excited to see in the show, and we, we haven't even talked about this at all, we talked a lot about the experience of the explosive show and the, the, those, the, the ramifications of that. The actual, the thing I would say to people for the two or three days after I saw it, at which point I no longer needed to say anything to people, 
Um, the thing I would say to people is, oh my God, she's so funny. It's so infectious. The whole vibe, I would always mention that I'm just trying to think back to the conversations I had. I would say the whole vibe is I'm amazing and it really works. And it's just this incredibly kind of powerful, uplifting thing. But I tell you what, there's some fucking good stand up in there as well. And the example, so much. the example I would give is there. I, and I've said, I said this, but I've got a, I've got a friend called Asaf who is, uh, he's a street performer and who I often see in Edinburgh. And, um, and he's quite sceptical about stand-up. He gets recommendations from me. We've got a running joke where instead of Siri, people... To, when I left the festival, they would record voice members and go... Uh, voice memos and say, Hey, Stewie, what should I see at 8 o'clock? <laughs> so I'd be like their, uh, their show recommender. Maybe I could maybe I could monetize that. I'll do it for next year. Yeah. Um, the thing I said to Asaf, who's a superhero fan as well, I said, she's got original angles on Batman. And he was like, what? And I said, yeah, you know, Batman, you know, Batman, who we love and everyone knows it. Well, you know, people like he and I know everything about. And we've heard done to death from every angle comically. She's got original angles on Batman. And he was like, I'm going to fucking see that show. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a huge compliment that from you specifically and knowing your now knowing your love of Batman. <laughs> that's um that's wonderful. Thank you. The, those sections, all three sections of the show, I treat it like three sections of stand up because it's four songs, stand up in between. All three of them were the second tier of uh, nicheness of my material. I didn't want to go in too broad. I wanted to talk about stuff I really cared about. And so there was times when that stuff is just bombing over and over and over again because I haven't hit the reason why I, I know why it's funny, but I haven't hit it yet. All the, the dog section, the Batman section, and the baby section. All three of those were struggling for so long. And I'm glad because it means that they've been forged properly. Yeah. So to hear that is a huge compliment. Thank you. So to hear you're welcome and uh, you deserve it. And those tell me about the, the tell me about those bits failing. Do you mean that when you because it's clear that like it it felt to me like you had gone into clubs with no keyboard and just done those stand-up bits yeah. and gone, this is stand-up yeah, yeah. and I don't have a keyboard to save me at the end. The stand-up has to work. Is that what you did? That's it. A hundred percent. Because you can even get the good graces of people on board for a song and then they, they can smile their way through a loose Batman bit because there's another song coming. <laughs> You're right. It was. I had to, I don't want to be a musical comedian. I want to be known as a comedian that has a party trick that happens to be these Minchin-esque songs. Mm. So I'm really happy that that's the kind of the, the vibe that I get. Um, I love that people co would compare me. I imagine being upset, being compared to Tim Minchin or Bo Burnham. It's incredible. Um, but I like that I, I'm thought of as a stand-up that will wheel out a piano mm. um, occasionally. Um, so when the, those, so when those, I'm sorry, I interrupted what was probably yeah, your answer yeah. to readdress the question. Yeah. When those Batman bits weren't working, like what works about the Batman bit in this, in the scope of the show is that it's not just about Batman. But right. but the jokes themselves, you could carve out and make a 15 second reel and bang, that's a viral Batman joke because it's a, a, right. a, a very funny, very like staring us in the face. How did no one think of that before kind of observation? Did you find when those didn't work, did you ever lose, did you ever risk losing faith in them? Yeah. And I realized why they weren't working. <clears throat> the first time I said that Bat the first time I basically pointed out that Batman's entire life is based on a lie because he's afraid of bats so he dresses like a bat to scare people why on earth would he think that would extend to other people it got a huge laugh because it's the first time I'd said it and I was really excited about it the reason why it started to not work and I lost faith was because you can't just say that without having a people need to know what my opinion of that is so I can't just relay the information and say you know Batman have you noticed that Batman's whole thing so Batman dresses like a bat in the comic books 
it has to be me annoyed at how Batman gets away with this, whereas I can't wear a dress without getting hassled. And yet the whole world has no problem with Bruce Wayne. He calls himself a Batman and he dresses like a bat. And everyone goes, oh, I can't wait to see another movie worth of that. I put on some earrings and call myself a woman. Oh, come on now. That's a little bit too much. Do you think, and this is from a mystery person who asked not to be identified, do you think that cis comedians who would call themselves trans allies but work with openly transphobic comedians need to be held accountable or is it just a job? Quick fire that. It's not just a job. It is a responsibility, but uh, there is... No, uh, no. The fact that they're in that same space is enough. The fact that they're working in that same space, to me, says that the conversation is not over yet. They're keeping the conversation alive. No, I think Ricky Gervais, Dave Chappelle are master craftsmen. I think one of them's got a bit lazy and one of them's got a bit righteous, but they're still master craftsmen and the conversation is still going. So let's give them a chance to steer things back in the right direction. That's a fantastic answer. That's a very generous answer. Good for you. Um, this is Jesse Johnson. Quick fire, if you please. Given the UK yeah. has a reputation for trans hostility from the right and left, does she feel the role of trans figurehead is in some way being foisted upon her? We've covered that, I think. Does she feel pressured to represent a group that are not a monolith to educate cis audiences or to get it right whenever she does so? I th- I don't know about you. For me, I think the best bit of that is, does she feel pressured to represent a group that are not a monolith? I do feel pressured and I always point out that I am not representative of all of us. I'm one of us. I'm doing my bloody best. Thanks for your support. I'm trying to get it right. I am just a person that has (laughs) tits and a penis and that affords me a certain amount of leverage to be able to steer the conversation. But we are all different and, uh, and that's the best thing about us is that we're all different. There is a very amusing visual picture to be drawn from having leverage to steer a conversation with a penis. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would. I'm going to ask you if you're happy. Are you happy, Jordan? Yeah, yeah. That was that should have been much more quick fire than it was. But I had to think about it. I'm happy with the work. Uh, there are a lot of pangs of sadness that come from the the ramifications of of basically as comedians, we spend our entire lives giving ourselves all the tools we need to become successful. Once you sort of get a taste of success, you realize your toolkit is redundant and useless because it's not about getting there anymore. You're there. What do you do? So um, my, my, the only way I've been able to survive is to put ever more ridiculous um, goalposts, move the goalposts so far away from myself and they reach into the points of megalomania now. So uh, I've, I'm happy. I am happy. Yeah, thank you for asking. So that was Jordan Gray, and I am really looking forward to the five years on chat. I mean, never know. You never know. It happened with Nigel Long. It was a, a six months on chat. But uh, let's imagine that Jordan is going to return to the show, as I hope she will, in years to come and look back on this moment. And we'll get some more kind of insight on kind of like a retro. Like it's so it's so fascinating to go this right now. This is the moment. This is the kind of star exploding moment. So. What a joy. And thank you so much to Jordan for making time for me. I know that she's, um, we had to, we had to put more faffing around and fitting it in than usual into this because, of course, she's just doing a bajillion meetings a day and good luck to her. So that is that. Um, I will post Amble at you in just a second, but you can follow Jordan on Twitter and Instagram at TallDarkFriend. You can go to linktree slash Stuart Goldsmith to get all of my links or visit StuartGoldsmith.com to find out everything I'm up to, including all my clever clog stuff on resilience, which is going great guns. Thanks for us. Asking. Um, go to comedianscomedian.com to uh, find out more about the pod. The website is shonky because.
because it was designed beautifully and I ruined it um, because I cannot make WordPress work for the life of me. So hopefully by the time you hear this, or at least by the end of the year, I will have transferred that website with the help of expert web wrangler James Hingley. Um, I will have transferred it to uh, Wix, in which case I can then press all the buttons myself and it will look a damn sight nicer. Please, 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 one day will this work because it is... I've driven that website into the ground and it's... Go and... Hey, go to comedianscomedian.com and just see how much I've ruined it. <laughs> like, it's... I'm the classic example of a client that's like, everything is most important. Everything must go at the top. You might get a laugh out of that. But while you're there, why not go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders and join up and sign up and then help me pay for my new website. All right. Um, you can follow me at ComComPod on Twitter or at Stuart Girls with Comedy on... Uh, uh, what's the one? On Instagram or um, the uh, Chinese malware site tiktok um, but i do not recommend you use that if you are on it please follow me but don't go on it if you can avoid it all right um so uh that is that thank you to uh, nathan producer nathan for getting on the ones and twos i was gonna say why would i say that thank you to jordan for coming on the show and um, thank you to jordan's management for letting her record this interview in their office um and uh, thank you to moz for the logging and uh, rob smouten did the music and asha trelevin invented the title of this podcast 10 years ago <laughs> and i think that's all the people i have to thank for now so post amble in a sec bye for now goodbye forever So one of the things I've been up to uh, recently is building a pipeline. Shall I tell you about the pipeline or shall I finish the pipeline and then tell you about it? It's where you get a big, I'm using an app called Scapple, where you basically, it's like, um, it's the online equivalent of a great big cork board with bits of red string connecting things together. And what you do with the pipeline is you go, okay, if someone discovers me through Instagram, what is the most efficient way of them getting to know all the other stuff I do and incentivizing them to find out about it? And if someone discovers me through the pod, what is you, you yourself may have experienced the pipeline. In fact, you are this. If you're listening to this, then how can I um, incentivize you to go, hey, this conversation is interesting. I wonder if there are more like them. What's the next bit of the, the path? Is it subscribing to the podcast? Is it joining the mailing list? Is it joining, following the YouTube channel and subscribing to that? What's the thing? So I'm trying to, I've drawn a big picture of it on Scapple and, um, I've nearly used up the free subscription, so I better get on with it. And, uh, and just trying to work that out and seeing it in front of me is, bananas it's so complicated and all of like all of the things could join to all of the other things so this is one of those situations where what i should really be doing is telling you to i should be do you know what i mean it should be like a like a domino rally what is the name for those in other countries because i had a bit of material about a domino rally once and people outside of the uk didn't know what the fuck i was talking about um but it should be i should be saying now hey guys join them hey you the specific listener join the mailing list because that is that would be good to do um because uh i don't pester you much but i do like someone recently thanked me for the sporadic nature of the uh the emails and when we're talking one every six weeks sort of tops really um uh, meaning that uh, they were always a nice surprise. So please join my surprise emailing list, email list. Maybe I'll start, I'll brand it as the surprise email list. Kind of takes the pressure off me to be consistent or coherent. But those are fun. I think they're actually fun, interesting, funny emails. They certainly, whenever I send one out, they get lots of responses. So I should be saying, hey, join the email list. And then at the bottom of every email, I should go, hey, join the ComCom Facebook group if you want to chat about comedy. And then there should be this whole journey. So uh, welcome to your part of the journey. I'm hoping to refine it and make it slightly tidier and stop resisting marketing ultimately 
we all want to resist marketing. This leads me into my reflections upon the Edinburgh Festival. We all want to resist marketing, but we all want our marketing to work. This year at Edinburgh, God, I was a grump for four or five days after coming back because never before in my life, only once before in my life, have I left a perfectly functioning, exciting Edinburgh knowing that everyone was still up there. It was monumentally painful. And I'm not going to wang on about that. Um, I had a great summer with my family. We had an amazing holiday together. We did loads of fun stuff. It was great. And now I'm about to go away for two days for work for the first time in ages. And I'm preemptively missing the kids and going all wobbly about it. So that is a a very nice feeling, I suppose. Um, And annoyingly, I missed the bin strike and the apparently seven foot high piles of bin bags that were in the street, which I didn't want to happen. But if it did happen, I didn't want to miss it. So I missed all the rats. That's a shame. Um, but I had such I had such a great time up there and I uh, saw loads of great stuff. Some of some of this I've already talked about in the Bianca Del Rio episode. And um, so I won't go over it too much, but it was great. I love it. It also set my anxiety back a little while, uh, a little bit. Because I've been making, oh, how deep, how deep do we go into this? Um, let's do, let's do surface for now. I am never ready for dressing room day. When you go into the Edinburgh Festival, one as a comic, when you go into any challenge, let's widen this out, any challenging time when you know you're going to be in a, a realm of critical appreciation reviews and so on, and some people will win awards and what have you. Um, you can steel yourself against it and you can remind yourself it's not a race, it's a dance, bracket Simon Munnery. Um, it's, you know, you can you can remind yourself of all the things that you're going to, hey, there's going to be reviews and I've got to make sure I don't read them. I've got to make sure I don't read anyone else's. I've got to make sure I don't engage with that. Hey, there's going to be full houses and less full houses and I've got to engage with the people who are in the room only. You prep it all. And then, of course, halfway through September, dressing room day happens, which is my name, which I hope catches on in, a, in my usual needy fashion. Um, that's when all the people who are on this series of Live at the Apollo post photos of their name on the dressing room door go, oh, Live at the Apollo. And it's it always takes me by surprise because I was ready for the Edinburgh and the management of the sort of personal distress. But that always takes me by surprise. And I only did a whip this year. Of course, I wasn't going to get uh, recognised by that gang this year. And the people that are on it, God, they're all great and they all deserve their place. And there's some brilliant surprises and brilliant people who've been ready for ages who finally got it. All of that stuff's great. But just in terms of muggins here and the decision in November last year to stop doing therapy because I felt so centred and like it had worked. I made decisions. I am now embodying those decisions. And like, you know, I'm not going to gig much in September. I'm only going to do a week in Edinburgh because it's all part of an increasingly confident and happy master plan. And then you, this is the problem with being so all over the place, as my mental state often is, and being untethered and not just remembering from minute to minute what the plan was. I find myself in early September going, oh God, I'm not gigging. Have I retired? What's going on? No, Stuart, you decided not to gig much in September. Oh, oh, right, right. But it it really took for it all to kind of bubble over and me to go, I'm right back there. I'm where I was a few years ago. I'm just in the fucking tumble. I feel like a sock in the tumble dryer going stress and trauma and envy and guilt and, you know, sort of negative self-talk, all of those things. And then taking a deep breath. I'm not going to feel guilty about this admission. I had a little top up with my therapist, had a little MOT and uh, I highly recommend that. And um, as a result, when... Oh, yes, it's fine. I made all these decisions and now I am acting on decisions I made a while ago. So isn't that nice to have acted on decisions that we all made a while ago and then bloody remember that that's what's going on? 
Here's what else is going on. I did a 10K and thank you so much for those of you who um, uh, who donated. Loads of you. I think I made about 1,700 quid for Bristol Mind. Um, and uh, that's uh, that's really great. And they're very appreciative, as am I. So thank you very much if you sponsored me. I think there's got to be... I've never used the sort of website before, the Just Giving website. Presumably there's a way I can scan through it, read all the comments and then reply to people. I hope so. Um but thank you uh, in this admittedly impersonal way if you donated. I didn't make as much of a fuss of it as I could, um, but I still made a bit of a fuss about it. And here's the thing. Here's my experience of running a 10K. If you are bored by running and you hate runners, please listen to this. Don't ignore this bit. The big secret is to talk to someone as you run round, right? The big secret in my case, I think what I did is I accidentally found out the best way for me to run, which is to be distracted. And then it turns out an official 10K, the official day when there's just thousands of people in the street and samba bands as you go past them and just stuff happening and the people running around you and the the amusing moment when you notice, oh, wow, this is really quiet. No one chats because I chat when I run. I thought everyone chatted when they run. No, no, everyone's headphones on, head down, run, get through it. I was chatting away to me, mates. Thank you to Jen and Steph who were with me on the on the run. Um, and... Uh, and I just was comprehensively distracted and as a result, breezed it. Like it was fun. It was genuinely fun because it breezed it fair. I think it is fair. And then for the last thousand uh, metres, I just went nuts. Someone gave me a jelly baby and it kicked in and I just tore through the last thousand metres. I ran further and faster than I've ever had in my life and like f- fast for further like top speed for the last thousand meters, which I always remember is what uh, Dave Longley says you should be able to do as a self-defense thing. You should be able to do top speed for a few minutes to get out of trub. Um, And uh, so I just had this incredibly positive experience. And honestly, without being too much of a cock about it, I really felt like I could have kept going for at least another half an hour. So I think I'm going to sign up for the half, but I'm not going to do a marathon because then you get into training where your training runs are like three hours long. And who's got time for that? I haven't got that much chat in me. So um, uh, so I think I'm going to do a half. So I'll be back in touch with you for more sponsorship whiffle next year. But this is the point. The overarching point is that I uh, my wife was asking me that night whether I felt proud of it. She said, you must be really proud. And I, th- I didn't feel proud. I was pleased I'd done it. But I didn't feel proud because I felt I had cheated by having exactly the right mindset. <laughs> I think that's... Oh, that was my headrest. Sorry. And I think that's um, uh, that's a really great attitude and an attitude that I would like to apply to all of the other numerous challenges that are constantly going on in my life, all the other work, all the unfinished projects. I cheated by doing all the right things at exactly the right time. And like I did the training in advance, I've got it, I've got my, I'm up and running, all of those things. I cheated by doing all the things you're supposed to do. And this is not dissimilar to when I thought that I had pulled a fast one on the London congestion charge when it first came in. And I said to a friend of the podcast, Pete Dobbin, Hey man, I'm cheating. Ah ha ha ha. I said, I've, I've, uh, I've beaten the system with the congestion charge. I've only, I only drive into central London on evenings and weekends when it's free. And he was like, yeah, that's what they want you to do. That's what you're supposed to do. So there we go. Cheating by having the correct mindset. This is my new watchword. Um, and uh, I hope that you find a way to make the thing that you need to do easy and routine so that it becomes easy. So I'll speak more about that in future. But uh, what? What was that? Yeah, because I, I said trub earlier on. Too much trub, you go to prison. That's my reminder. I've got to go and have an interesting call with someone about a thing. Goodbye forever. And uh, I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to this increasingly whiffly one.
Ta-da. Oh, yeah, coming up soon. Next week, probably Lauren Patterson, then Grace Petrie, Glenmore Estebanito. Sumptuous. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.